Folks, you are about to hear episode number 41 of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 4-1. That number has gotten me thinking about another number coming up. 50. 50 entire episodes of this show is around the corner. I want to celebrate that, and I want to celebrate by giving backers of this show more benefits than ever before. So we're doing a membership drive. That's what I'm telling you before this episode starts. The full details are at sifpod.fun. The short version is that if enough listeners step up, if enough people become backers, every current and new backer will get commemorative art for episode 50. They'll get other new benefits for every week of the podcast. And if this drive works out, we'll be able to do something great for guests of this show because they, you know, deserve something for their labor. So there's never been a better time to back the podcast. Please go to sifpod.fun and do that thing. I'm thrilled about what we're building here. I'm thrilled about the idea of you becoming a part of it. And, oh yeah, I am thrilled about Vanilla. Vanilla, known for being a flavor. Famous for being a bean. Nobody thinks much about it, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why Vanilla is secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Today, I'm joined by Lydia Bug and Katie Golden. Lydia Bug is a fantastic comedy writer. You can read Lydia's columns every week on 1900 Hot Dog. That is my favorite new comedy website, period. It was founded by the great Robert Brockway and the great The Internet's Sean Baby. You heard them on the Ham episode of this podcast, and that site is more than just them. Lydia Bug writes there. She also writes for BunnyEars.com, Reductress.com, and she's a writer on the new Trailer Park Boys comic book anthology, Trailer Park Boys, a very funny TV show. That comic book comes out in June, which is very soon and a very cool thing. And then Katie Golden is my other guest. She is also far more than a mere guest. She helped get this entire podcast off the ground. She guested on the first ever taping, which became episode two about cattle. She's also the amazing comedy writer who runs the at Pro Bird Rights Twitter account. Katie also hosts and makes a fantastic animal-focused podcast called Creature Feature over on iHeartRadio. Great podcast to check out. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Lydia recorded this on the traditional land of the Shawnee, Eastern Cherokee, and Saatsoyaha peoples. Acknowledge Katie recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino Ortongva and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about vanilla. A flavor you know, a plant that will astound you. Also probably worth saying up front that the history of vanilla and the present day of vanilla, it all ties very deeply into European imperialism. So we explore that imperialism today, because that is one of the core things that has created this like global dessert situation where you can get vanilla anywhere at any time. And I think most episodes of this show have some element of that kind of thing. I want to pre-mention that this one is heavy on them. So there you go. I also think this is a fascinating topic with amazing guests. So please sit back or use a small wooden stick to change the world. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Lydia Bug and Katie Golden. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Lydia, Katie, so good to see you both. Of course, I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, but how do you feel about vanilla? 
Um, well, as, as like a basic flavor, I feel like if you asked me, would you like vanilla ice cream or like any other flavor of ice cream? I would say anything else, please. Um, <laughs> as part of like baking, I love vanilla, especially vanilla extract, I feel like is in pretty much every baked good that I make or anyone makes. Like I was flipping through a cookbook earlier and I was like seven of the 10 recipes in it have vanilla extract. So I feel like it's a good flavor to like build other flavors on top of. Oh, yeah. I left it out of chocolate chip cookies one time and they they were ghostly pale. Really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't do that. I was talking to my grandma about uh, making chocolate chip cookies once and she said, always add more vanilla extract. It's like there's like usually a (laughs) tablespoon and then I've seen her make it. She'll put in the tablespoon and then she'll just kind of eyeball it and then go like (laughs) throw some more in. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Yeah. I love vanilla. Um, I actually. So it's true that I I will. uh, Of course, if there's like other flavors of ice cream, like I'm happy about it. But like vanilla ice cream in an ice cream cone just like takes me back to my childhood, I guess. So I just there's something about that. Like you get like even one of those little cheap cones that like is basically styrofoam and you put some vanilla in it. And it's just like instantly I'm taken back to my childhood getting it all over my hand and not knowing what to do. Uh, And it's great. I also love to bake. And I went to a a, a cooking class and the teacher was like, listen, I've got a secret to share with you guys about vanilla. Uh, You guys have been using vanilla extract all this time. Well, you should be using vanilla paste. And it's very expensive. And it's much more expensive than vanilla extract. But it's like this thick syrup with like ground up... um, vanilla uh the pods and then it's like and i was like oh she's just trying to sell us vanilla paste but then i tried some and it was really good so i got a (laughs) bottle of it and i started adding it to my tea and everything and it's like oh this is so good wow Uh, yeah i've i've come to really enjoy just the flavor of vanilla on its own uh obviously you can't like chug vanilla extract well you could has anyone? You can't. I, I haven't. I, I remember in high school, there was like a rumor that there was a kid who chugged it to try and get drunk because it has like 0.001% alcohol in it. And I think that's the way to do yeah. it. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Great. Good idea. Yeah. No, I mean, but yeah, I just, it's like, oh, wow, this like vanilla paste is actually really good just on its own. Um, I mean, I don't eat the vanilla paste much. <laughs> Where do you get it? Where do you find that? Because I I've looked at the grocery store and you can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> vanilla bean isn't available like anywhere, right? Like regular just vanilla bean. I mean, you can get you can get the vanilla pods. I think uh, sometimes in the grocery store if you have fancy spices, like they're those long kind of black yeah. pod things. Uh, but like the paste, I, I've had trouble finding it in grocery stores. So internet. Dodgy sites on the internet. <laughs> if it doesn't look dodgy, it's not the good paste. The, some some man in like a trench coat in an alleyway called like Vanilla Joe opens up his trench coat. It's all sorts of vanilla pastes and, and macaroons. At the white market. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Until researching this, I didn't know about the vanilla beans and pods, and I, th- I just knew about the flavor. So that's that's cool that you already are aware of the source and all the ways to get it. That's right. I'm an expert. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen them use the beans on cooking shows. That's when they're like being fancy on a cooking show. They're like, oh, you have to use like whole vanilla bean, and they get it out and they like scrape the inside out of it and then like chop it up is what it looks like. And I've always mm. kind of wanted to try yeah. that. Um, but you can't get it anywhere. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just be basic and use the vanilla extract, I guess. <laughs> I love that on like cooking and baking shows where it's like, you're not doing it right unless you're using fresh whole vanilla. And you're like, okay, I'll do that. It's like, no, this isn't for you. This is the forbidden peon. Yeah, the forbidden flavor. <laughs> you cooking surf. You got to go to Vanilla Joe or you're not doing it. <laughs> They're getting a kickback from the white market. That's what I think. I think it's all, it's it's turtles all the way down of this conspiracy. Yeah. Big vanilla. <laughs> Big vanilla. <laughs> as far as my vanilla feelings, it was, I think, I, I was a pretty picky kid, but it was one of my absolute favorite flavors as a kid. Like, I would just want a carton of vanilla ice cream from the store, and that was dessert. That was plenty. 
And I also really liked, uh, especially in, in times when money was low, just like the McDonald's soft serve vanilla cone as a treat on the street, you know, that, that, oh, was, that yeah. was especially New York summers uh, when I was briefly there. That was like, that was great. That was the way to go. That's so funny to me that you guys both enjoyed that. Cause to me, when I got a vanilla cone as a kid, I would just like swat it out of somebody's hand to the floor and be like, <laughs> where's the chocolate cone? This is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I think for some people, vanilla is default. It's no flavor. It's yeah. like not a flavor. It's it's sort of like giving like a vanilla ice cream is like a blank canvas, and it's like where's all the chocolate and yeah, you know, marshmallows and stuff. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a distinct flavor. If you have just like milk that you turn into ice cream with no vanilla in it, it tastes weird. It's not going to taste like vanilla ice cream. Yeah, yeah it's going to taste like ice milk milk water <laughs> milk. and it's milk color like i think that's i think i thought that's what you get if you just put milk and the other elements of ice cream together you get vanilla ice cream right and then like if you add chunks of stuff you're ben and jerry but until then it's just vanilla right <laughs> that's when you but be- yeah you become ben and jerry like it's sort of a it's sort of like the title of a uh, spider-man or batman like <laughs> when you when you start mixing things in ice cream it's like now I'm the Ben and Jerry. You're both like the Wonder Twins. Yeah. <laughs> All their flavors, they put two rigs together in yeah. Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> when you mix like pretzels and, and Reese's Pieces into ice cream, the spirits of Ben and Jerry move through you. <laughs> and the world becomes a better place. <laughs> Luke, you turned off your targeting computer. It's okay. And then Ben and Jerry are just force ghosts helping him target the ice cream, you know. Have you tried Americone Dream? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, I think from here we can get into the first chunk of info in the show. Because on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that's in a segment called... Never gonna add you up. Never gonna subtract you. <laughs> never gonna multiply or divide you. Wow, that was a Wow. Wow. I, I, like you transformed before our eyes through like an oversized shoulder padded uh, trench coat. It was freaky. I thought he hired Rick Astley to come in and sing that. Right. (laughs) I could smell hairspray. Uh, that was uh, that was from Emily Brown. Thank you, Emily Brown. We have a new name for this every week. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. And the first number here is two, or at least like number two in the world. It's two because vanilla is the second most expensive spice by weight in the entire Whoa. world. It's number two. That makes sense to me, I think. Right. What's number one? Yeah, it's always in tiny amounts. And number one is saffron. Okay. Which is those little filaments, you know, they're, they're extremely tiny by weight. So if I have saffron and vanilla ice cream, I'm basically a queen, right? You're the fanciest person on earth. Yeah. The fanciest person on earth. (laughs) Like it just comes with a crown in the box. Like, oh, hey, cool. (laughs) Like in the spice aisle, I feel like vanilla extract is one of the most expensive things. Usually it's like $11 for a bottle. I mean, it's a big bottle and it'll last you a long time, but I know that it's, it's more expensive than almost any other thing there, right? Yeah. And that, that's part of why, also, I guess you just get sick if you try to do it, but it's part of why you don't want to be like that kid who tried to get drunk on it and just slam it, because <laughs> it's very expensive. It doesn't work financially. <laughs> yeah, that's like worse than worse than like the New York Times Applebee's trying to get drunk there, you're, if you're trying to get drunk off a <laughs> bottle of vanilla extract. Don't you tell me how to live my life. <laughs> Yeah, Katie's taping this from the Times Square Applebee's, and she's very upset that you're saying Listen, that. Listen, I'm double fisting by vanilla extract from New York Times Applebee's, and I don't appreciate your judgment right now, all right? It's crazy that you had to get the New York Times Applebee's to sell you the vanilla extract. Like, that's an extra Listen, step. That... Jealousy is not a nice color on you, Lydia, all right? 
<laughs> You're right. I'm so sorry. Live your life, girl. Live your dreams. That's right. That's right. Don't know me. Tell me what to do. <laughs> Also, uh, I think next number here, this fits in with being a queen. Uh, The next number is 1602, the year 1602. That's when Queen Elizabeth I asked for all of her food and all of her beverages to be flavored with vanilla. Mm. (laughs) Wow. That's that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. All food and beverages. Vanilla. She wanted that. Although, even chicken, though, like, or I guess she'd be eating pheasant or something. But even right. pheasant, though, like vanilla pheasant. <laughs> like, w- was there salad back then? Was she, like, using it as salad dressing on her mm, garden salad? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess you never have vanilla extract, like, on the table as a condiment, huh? That's just That just really doesn't Mm-mm. work with anything at all, huh? Wow. <laughs> vanilla fries? No. Uh. I don't know. Now that you say that, I'm kind of like, mm, vanilla fries? Like, I... I feel like, yeah. Have you dunked fries Curl- in a vanilla milkshake? Like, that's good. Oh, yeah. That, oh. that is right. Or like, like yeah. uh, remember when Taco Bell used to have like the cinnamon curly fries or something? Yeah. Like vanilla and cinnamon curly fries might be kind of actually good. I'm changing my mind on Elizabeth I. I think she might have been onto something. <laughs> yeah, far be it from us to disagree with a queen. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes, here we we respect monarchy. (laughs) (laughs) The the story with Queen Elizabeth I here, and and one big source for this episode will be the book Vanilla, A Global History by Rosa Abreu-Runkel. She's an assistant professor of hospitality management at New York City College of Technology. Uh, But Mm -hmm. Dr. Abreu-Runkel says, quote, Elizabeth I came to believe vanilla was an aphrodisiac and had a mystical way of improving (laughs) one's health. End quote. Oh, really? An aphrodisiac, you say? Wow, Elizabeth yeah. the first. She was a she was a little bit of a little bit of a freaky queen, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, she was like, <laughs> this is an aphrodisiac, and I want to be horny all the time. <laughs> right, <laughs> and never act on it ever. That's my plan <laughs> as queen. Sir Higgins, please put the horny sauce onto my pheasants. <laughs> If even a single dish does not make me horny, I'm going to be so mad at my chef. <laughs> like, that's what you eventually. Thou must make me constantly jonesing for that D, chef, or I shall have your head and not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> and the other thing is, this was the year 1602, and at that time, Queen Elizabeth I was in her late 60s. Uh, she right. also died the following year. So from a health oh, perspective, no. apparently this did not work. Uh, she, <laughs> she passed away. <laughs> or you could look at it as she had a great raunchy time that last year of her life. Uh, yeah. Of just, you know, look, old people, old people can have sex too. I'm sorry to break it it's to true. you guys. but She went out with know, a bang. Like, yeah, like, you know, and, and I mean, back then this was a... a pretty old age because people were constantly falling off the face of the earth at young young ages because they kept eating like rat water and stuff but like you know (laughs) hey look i think it's great i think it's great that she could come into her own and her old age and just decide to be a uh, freak 24-7. Yeah, good for her. Good for her. <laughs> good for her. Well, and I love the idea that she just kind of decided herself that it was healthy and was like, I'm going to eat this constantly. I've decided this is healthy. And then she died. <laughs> like, what a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to wake up one day and just be like, I think Cheetos are healthy. I'm going to eat Cheetos every single day and then be really mad when I die in a year. <laughs> But was it the vanilla or was it like the drinking rat water that did it? Because they did a lot of weird stuff like or the I don't know if she was one of the ones, one of the queens that like rubbed mercury over her face. Like it could have been a lot of things that killed her. True. Yeah. Yeah. It's as late 60s for the 1600s is like pretty good. You, you were supposed pretty to good, pass yeah. away like in your field at 25. So, you know, yeah. late 60s. All right. Hey. 
Yeah, they were like brushing their teeth with lead. So, you know, congratulations <laughs> for living though. So that's like a hundred in, in 1600 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, isn't it like when you get older, your taste buds don't work as well? So it could be that she, if she was like actually super old for, oh. for that age, that's why she liked the vanilla so much. She was like, oh, I can taste this. Right. And also I think like brushing your teeth with lead might have had some problems with the whole tongue <laughs> situation. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Right. I'm tasting a lot less stuff ever since my tongue fell off. I wonder why. That's a weird <laughs> situation going on. Hmm. The doctor said to put tin leeches in my mouth and I'd like to spice it up with some vanilla, please. <laughs> And the next number here is, is this modern stuff. It's about 80%. And about 80% is the approximate amount of world vanilla that is grown on the island of Madagascar. Oh, wow. It's coming from the NPR Goats and Soda blog. And that number varies year to year, uh, but it's Madagascar at about 80%. And then the next biggest source is an island called La Réunion. And La Réunion is east of Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. We'll talk about both those places a lot more later. But uh, but yeah, most mm-hmm. most like natural vanilla comes from there. Eighty percent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very. Um, so so is I guess we're gonna talk about it later. But I guess like these these plants, the vanilla plants are pretty like endemic to these regions where they just don't necessarily grow elsewhere. Yeah, that's a perfect question for later because it's yes and no. It's kind of both. Mm. I look yeah. forward to hearing the answer. <laughs> I wonder how good that island smells. I bet it smells really good. Oh. <laughs> like flying over to get somewhere. Like, put us down there, am I right? <laughs> hey, other people on the plane? Come on. Who's in? Let's just pop <laughs> by. Who's into it? <laughs> people are like, that guy in 10E has a great idea. Wow, cool. <laughs> It's my seat on the plane. There's Tenny. <laughs> and that's how the that's how the plane hijackings happen, because people smell a really good island. They're like, we'll just pop by. We'll just pop by real quick. <laughs> Take her down. <laughs> I'm glad I brought a gun on this plane, otherwise we couldn't stop at all, right? Jeez. <laughs> really, really lucky. And now we're on a list. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> Now, now C10E is removed from all planes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, last number here is 1889. This is another year. 1889 is the year of the launch of a perfume that was called Jaqui. And Jaqui is significant because it is considered the first modern perfume mm. because it incorporated an artificial ingredient which was artificial vanilla. Ah. So vanilla kind of launched the modern perfume industry wow. uh, beyond just putting natural stuff together. Yeah, I don't think that I've uh I I I don't think I've noticed any perfumes like being like vanilla perfume, but Yeah. Uh I guess I don't know what perfume flavor is at all. I mean, I know there's like floral ones, but then when it's like, ah, oh, this is like perfume and it's like I don't know what this smell is. It's nice, but I don't know what it is. You can't figure out that name? It was pretty clear in the name, I think. Uh, it seems like they... No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, if, if people want to get this perfume, they can. It was made by Ame Guerlain in 1889. He was the son of another perfumier, and their business is still going. It's the world's oldest perfume in continuous production. Oh, that's is this cool. this scent, Jiqui, if you want to have, like history perfume that is mostly lavender and vanilla yeah maybe i'll check it out because my signature sweat or my signature scent right now is like sweat and chocolate (laughs) chocolate ice cream and sweat chocolate gross (laughs) get off of the podcast (laughs) what if i had made a rule though talking about chocolate on the vanilla podcast they can't mix no way I'd be devastated. <laughs> Don't even use the C word. I think I could pull a big like thing of chocolate out of my desk right now and just start. Yeah, I have chocolate covered pecans <laughs> right here on hand. So <laughs> I'm going to protest eat it. <laughs> 
Well, we uh, we have three big takeaways for this one. I think we can get into them, starting with takeaway number one. Vanilla comes from the fruits of an orchid. Maybe oh. a lot of people know this, and I just didn't. I but, didn't. Uh, those vanilla beans are fruits, and they come from an orchid, specifically. What? I, I knew they were, like, part of a plant, and that's all I yeah. knew. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they came from an orchid. That's fascinating. Yeah. So like a flower, are they part of the flower then? Yeah, they're a fruit that grows out of the orchid. And this is super unique in a few ways because there are thousands of orchid species in the world, most of them tropical. Dan Nozowitz in Atlas Obscura, he says, quote, of all the world's orchid species, vanilla is the only one that has a fruit that's considered edible or at least that's regularly eaten, end quote. That's so, so this is unique on Earth. This is the only orchid doing this. Yeah, because I know like orchids are kind of yeah. stingy when it comes to making edible byproduct. Like uh, orchids, so a lot of flowers will produce nectar to attract pollinators, but orchids will often just try to trick pollinators to come and pollinate them without producing nectar by like being in the shape of like a bee. Wow. So there are these bee orchids that uh, they they mimic the shape of a bee so that the bee will come and try to mate with the orchid. But oops, it's just an orchid. And then the bee <laughs> leaves dejected, but pollinates it. <laughs> and then that way the orchid doesn't have to produce nectar, which, you know, is, is costly. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, that's so interesting because like, yeah, this uh, I, I wouldn't expect an orchid to actually create bear of fruit. Yeah. Like, did you just basically say orchids are lazy? <laughs> They're a lazy flower? They are. Yeah, it's true. I'm not afraid to say it. <laughs> I'm just I'm just dropping truth bombs about orchids. They're lazy. <laughs> Except for the ones that make vanilla, apparently. That's apparently, so cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like scientifically true. Because also, apparently, there are 110 varieties of orchid in the genus vanilloidae and then only the 20 that are in central america or native to central america produce large fragrant fruits that can be used to flavor food so it's just this one kind of this one orchid from this one place central america uh, is the only orchid that makes anything that people use wow wow that's incredible yeah yeah I um I have a blueberry bush and for the first time I I learned I didn't know how like fruits worked. I didn't know they were flowers first until this year. And it like flowered <laughs> and then I was waiting and waiting and waiting for it to fruit and it like didn't for a really long time. And then my husband was like, Well, you have to there's nothing here to pollinate it. And I was like, Oh, he was like, You can hand pollinate it or you can just stick it outside and a bee will do it eventually. And I had to like stick it outside for like a week and then bring bring it in so I could get blueberries. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird to think about plants having sex, but they got to do it. Yeah, like if that's how it works. That's crazy. Like basically, I was like, I'm not going to get this plant pregnant myself. That's too weird for me. I need a bee to do it. I'm not going to hand pollinate it. At least take the plant to dinner first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that story will be very relevant to a lot of the rest of the show. Uh, it was specific to vanilla. <laughs> um, mm. <laughs> so that's amazing because the, the vanilla plant is just the, the rest of this takeaway is that the vanilla plant is pretty weird about reproducing or pollinating at all. Hmm. For one thing, in its natural habitat, it grows as a vine. It's like a vine with orchids on it that goes up trees. Oh, uh, it takes three years for it to start flowering. And National Geographic says each flower remains open for just 24 hours. And then if it's not pollinated, it wilts and dies and falls to the ground. Whoa. So it's oh, an extremely wow. specific plant. It only it only will pollinate this one way. That's it. That seems inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense why vanilla is expensive then, because it seems like it's really hard to get, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Because you when it's pollinated, you get these long, thin, green colored fruits, which are seed pods and technically beans. And we call them vanilla beans. And then after some curing and drying and other stuff, they go from green to the dark color that that you see in the store or on certain labels for stuff. But this very finicky orchid is our only source of uh, natural vanilla. That's the only way we can get it. 
What a what a coy plant. Like, ooh, you want to pollinate me? You'll have to do it in 24 hours. <laughs> like, or else I'll die. <laughs> Just a really short Google calendar. Like, okay, right. today I'm alive. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. That's so, that's such a, like, how does this plant, there's a lot of bizarre mating strategies in the natural world, but this plant seems to have some kind of death wish. Like, how does it manage to survive with such a finicky mating strategy? Yeah, it sounds like pandas. Like, yeah. it's always funny to me that pandas are so bad at having sex and we continue to make them do it so they'll survive. And it's like the same thing with this flower. It's like, I please, I just want to die. And we're like, no, you have to have sex and live. Well, <laughs> the case with pandas is interesting because the b- them being bad at sex seems to be more in zoos and captive environments because in the wild, basically they're they're picky. So they like to pick their partners. So in the wild, they, they have, you know, basically panda tinder and they get to like pick uh, their mates. But in captivity, they're like, OK, OK, Susan, uh, here's uh, Dennis. He's your mate. And uh, Susan's like, what? Dennis? <laughs> and Dennis is over there like, yeah, I'm pretty much an expert at Call of Duty. And she's like, no, no, thank you. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so pandas are notorious for like, oh well, they just don't want to have sex. It's like, no, they just don't want to have sex with some random schlub they get thrown in <laughs> the zoo with. I don't know what like excuse these vanilla orchids have though. Like have we have they been has their environment been changed or are they just like uh peculiar? Yeah, that that takes us perfectly into takeaway number 2. Takeaway number 2. Vanilla relocated from Mexico all the way to Madagascar because of the brilliance of an enslaved child in a third location. And I know that was very long, so I'll say it again. Vanilla (laughs) relocated from Mexico all the way to Madagascar because of the brilliance of an enslaved child in a third location. This is this this whole story here is a like global progression of human cultivated vanilla that is amazing. I had no idea about it till looking into it. Yeah, that's a very interesting sentence, and then I'm definitely brought into the depths of despair when we get to enslaved child. Yeah. Yeah, you know that that's not going to have a happy ending. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's learn about the history of vanilla. Well, can't say I'm too surprised that slavery has something to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, this is world trade in the past and that that tended to involve slavery, especially if Europeans were doing it. And so yeah, that's part of it. And it's not avoidable. Yep. Uh, but the uh the biology part there's an interesting uh, story where so these these vanilla orchids are native to Central America and especially Mexico. And according to Vanilla, a global history, 
They were pollinated by specific Central American bees, one species called Euglosin and one called Melipona, and then also occasionally by Central American hummingbirds. So those were the only animals that did it. Mm -hmm. And as early as the Olmec civilization, people there were harvesting beans from the orchids and sort of usually letting them kind of pollinate naturally. And then a later people called the Totonac did so much vanilla cultivation that they developed a cultural legend around vanilla where two star-crossed lovers from royal families were like murdered for their love and in the spot they were killed, the vanilla plant was created. Like this, the area that's now the Mexican state of Veracruz on the eastern coast of Mexico is like the heartland of vanilla originally. That's where it came wow. from. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. And they're like, this, these dead lovers' ghosts made this delicious plant. <laughs> <laughs> Mm. yeah <laughs> there are lots of there are lots of myths from that like all it's interesting because it seems to be sort of like all over the world like and then someone died here horribly and that's where we get this beautiful flower <laughs> <laughs> like, oh well it's really sad that they died why can't we just say nature made a beautiful flower <laughs> look at the dead person's beautiful flower lydia <laughs> it's full of ghosts <laughs> <laughs> the ghosts make it taste better the ghosts are why it's good i'm so sorry i just like to go straight to the source and like collect ghosts and grind them up for flavoring seasoning that's what your <laughs> beloved vanilla paste really is it's just ground up ghost goo ghosts yeah. it's just yeah yeah my grandma in a bottle <laughs> oh god got so dark she'd love it she was she liked baking yeah and now she is baking now she is baking her spirit is in my cookies literally <laughs> well if it was like british bake-off or something there's like and did you use real ghosts it's like no i didn't use real ghosts well there's the problem that's you're, you're off the show it's uh, not good <laughs> You can always taste the imitation ghosts. You've got a bit of a soggy bottom. I think it's because you didn't use real ghosts. Oh, Mary Berry. Such a stickler. You didn't do the exorcism right, didn't didn't you? And you're now you've got a soggy bottom, haven't you? You didn't get a young priest, did you? Now we have a soggy bottom and Satan is here. <laughs> And then Paul Hollywood, and, and be warned, this is a very accurate impression. That's not real ghost, isn't it? And, and then, you know, then he's mad. Again, perfect impression. Uh, wow. I thought like it was Paul great. Hollywood is here with yeah. us. I thought you hung. Oh, my God, no, I don't like that ghost, do I? I didn't even try to do a British accent because it would just be nothing. That didn't stop us. Right. Me and Katie are too accurate. I agree. You're too yeah. good. Yeah. It's yeah. Can't keep up. It's fair. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, British listeners, you have permission to impersonate me however you want. Great. Right. Uh, so <laughs> I apologize, British people of the world. <laughs> do me as a cowboy. It's totally fine. Yeah. Remember that I'm the one that didn't try and do it. <laughs> Lydia will be spared when the British people come and like throw their tea at us or whatever. <laughs> It's my greatest fear, so. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of colonial powers, perfect segue. Uh -oh. What happened is uh, <laughs> we had uh, vanilla growing in, in modern-day Mexico. Even when the Triple Alliance, also known as the Aztec Empire, came along, the Totonacs gave them vanilla as tribute. It, it was all over the area. And then the Spanish invade the Aztec Empire in 1519, and they bring vanilla back to Europe. And so that's how Europe discovers Oh, hey, there's this amazingly delicious bean. Like, we really have to get it. But from there, they find that they can't grow vanilla anywhere but Spanish Mexico. And they don't know why. Later, they'll learn it's these specific bees and hummingbirds need to pollinate it. But for a while, they're like, I guess Spain just has a monopoly on vanilla. Hmm. I, f I assumed it would be like the climate, too, would probably be too cold. Isn't England a lot colder? So it would be, I, I would assume that would also be part of it. Yeah, I think I think these plants do have to be kind of somewhere tropical. Uh, they can now kind of be in any place as long as the climate's good. But yeah, you couldn't like put it up in Scotland and just get a bunch of flowers. It would be like, nope, too cold. I'm out. 
forget it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a plant that's already famous for dying very quickly, and now I'm cold, so. <laughs> <laughs> and the next source here is a book called Eight Flavors, The Untold Story of American Cuisine by food writer Sarah Lohman. And this is the story of how it gets to Madagascar, which is that there's a third place, the island of La Réunion. Both Madagascar and La Réunion become French colonies. And I had never heard of La Réunion. I knew about Madagascar mostly for lemurs and, and for the animal movie. La Réunion <laughs> is in the Indian Ocean. It was colonized by France in the mid-1600s, uh, initially as a prison colony and then as a like plantation slavery colony starting in the mid-1600s. And it's been part of France ever since. But in the 1800s, it's where they will discover the hand pollination of vanilla, so, so Lydia, like your, your husband was talking about hand pollinating the blueberries, if you want to, uh, it took until the 1800s to discover, oh, you can just hand pollinate vanilla. You don't need special Central American bees to do it. I like how it's, we're, we're always concerned about bees and pollination. It's like, uh-oh, the bees are leaving and, and uh, you know, we need them for pollination and bees just going, ah, do it yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody wants to. Nobody wants to because it's creepy. Because, like, it's it's not creepy really when you're doing it. But if you think about what you're doing, you're like, <laughs> like I'm like touching this flower's private parts. <laughs> <laughs> you're whining and dining the plant. I don't know. I'd make it special. <laughs> Get a little glass of wine. Play it some music. Yeah. <laughs> like, this wine is made out of plant parts, isn't that? Oh, where are you going, honey? I'm sorry. <laughs> They're offended about that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then also as far as the discovery of hand pollination, it was basically a heroic boy figured it out. His name was Edmund Albius. And Edmund Albius was born uh, into slavery on La Réunion in 1829. His parents died when he was young. He was sent to another slave owner named Ferréol Bellier Beaumont. And That's Ferry... a slave owner name, if I've ever yeah. heard yeah. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he, he loved botany, and one of his experiments was a vanilla vine that he'd been maintaining for 20 years. So it was old enough to have flowers on it. And he apparently made this young boy, Edmund Albius, his like sidekick for botanical stuff. His journal says, quote, this young black boy became my constant companion, end quote. And then in 1841. It's just an interesting mm. way to (laughs) phrase it when you, you know, have imprisoned a child. But hey. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever gets you to sleep at night. <laughs> my my right. little buddy that I own. <laughs> oh. My hostage keeps hanging out with me. Can you believe it? Yeah, it's not great. Uh, I, he must want to be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he loves it here, so. Yeah. This is fine for me to do, I guess. This is what it says in the journal. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a big header on his journal that says, I'm good, right? And no, he's not good. Uh, (laughs) Am I going to hell? No, it's the children who are wrong. Yeah. (laughs) But and so Edmund Albius is uh, very precocious and and very smart. And at the age of 12 years old in 1841, he discovers that you can hand pollinate a vanilla orchid. Uh, Sarah Lohman's description is, quote, Albius used a thin stick a bit larger than a toothpick, to split the tube-like side of the flower. And then what happens is you touch the anther sac and the stigma together, like the orchid contains both of its own reproductive parts. And so when you make those two meet, it's what's known as the marriage. Mm. And then immediately the thick green base of the flower swells, it matures into a finger-like green seed pod that becomes a vanilla bean. And that's pretty much what people do today. There hasn't really been a huge advance over this. Uh, and it was discovered by a 12-year-old boy. I thought you said this was a PG-rated podcast, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said swells. You can't say that on a yeah. PG-rated podcast. Something about its stamen. Hmm. Right. 
Yeah, where, where, the part where I said exposing the anther sack, we'll just bleep all that out, because boy, oh boy. Uh, really sorry, parents. Uh. Yeah, he let that anther sack stuff sneak right through. But yeah, and from there, this this like discovery technology, I guess, it becomes how vanilla is harvested. And also, uh, Albius, his his owner, did the positive thing of like giving him credit. He sh- he brought other people to see it, but also like made sure to tell all of them this kid came up with it. He's the the brilliant person. And, and he um, was freed, and slavery was abolished, right? <laughs> yeah, what uh, a happy Alex? ending, right? It's right. a happy ending, <laughs> right? They're like, oh, maybe slave. So, like, look at this brilliant child. Hey, maybe we shouldn't have slaves because it's horrible, and we freed him and everyone else, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and everyone's mind was changed, and there was a big party, and then there were no other right. problems ever again. And he got to yeah. be a little boy and not enslaved, right? Alex? So, uh, Alex, why are you being Alex, so quiet, why are you Alex? Being so quiet, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's 12 years old in 1841, and then he is freed, but he's only freed about six months before France abolishes slavery. And then also... Like no one treats Albius well for the whole rest of his life because basically, oh, come on. basically he's he's famous and he's like in books and stuff. And I, I sent you to a, an illustration of him from a book at the time. Like he was famous for figuring this out, but racism and Aww. all of the other problems of society. And so he he ended up doing manual labor, getting arrested and jailed in connection with a robbery, and then he just Aww. had to like live on a piece of land on Bellier Beaumont's property for the rest of his life because he didn't have any money. Um, so yeah, so it's sad at the end. So abolishing slavery didn't instantly fix everything. Huh. That's crazy. That's the first I've heard of this. <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, that's... Uh... That's a bit of a downer. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think that's like one of the things is like so many we th- we when we think about geniuses, right? We think about a lot of kind of like white old white dudes because old white dudes were the ones who got to be recognized as geniuses. But then there are so many geniuses that were just like not allowed to live as people. <laughs> And then, you know, maybe got like, I mean, it's incredible. He even got any recognition at all. Um, Yeah. Obviously, that didn't help him uh, in his life. But it's just like, uh, yeah, just like how many how many uh, uh, geniuses are behind so many things that we enjoy today that we don't know about because they're not old white dudes. Totally. Oh, yeah, for sure. Can you imagine how many people like looked at that orchid and were like, man, it would be so cool if we could like, you know, figure out how to hand pollinate those people that were probably like twice this kid's age and that had degrees in botany and they were just like, too bad it'll never happen. And then this 12 year old kid comes along and and figures it out like that's that's a real genius. Yeah. When I was 12, I was just like watching Daria a lot on on AIM. And this kid invented an agricultural technique that we still use to this day. Daria was a solid show. It was a good show. It was. It was just as good as inventing all of vanilla. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it is. And it's truly still with us. We'll link to a Smithsonian article about the modern, uh, again, almost all uh, vanilla is grown in Madagascar. And they say that nearly all of it is produced by hand pollination. They interviewed Tim McCollum, who runs a direct trade chocolate and vanilla company. And he says, quote, you can't just put vanilla seed in the ground. Hand pollination is a learned skill. Many farmers have been growing vanilla for three to four generations. And smallholder farmers have an absolute sixth sense as to when the orchids will bloom, end quote. So we don't need the bees anymore, but it's really hard uh, and right, a, a really amazing advance that this kid made. It's an artisanal skill. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's something, too, like when people think about like farming, they're like, oh, it's just like, you know, I hate it when people call it unskilled labor because it's like, no, it's a serious skill and yeah. it keeps us alive <laughs> yeah. by eating and also cool things like vanilla. So to like be like dismissive of it as unskilled labor is just so wrong. Yeah, there's a lot to it. 
It's a science. Well, yeah, and my, the reason my husband knew about pollinating the blueberry plant is because his dad's a farmer and, and arms, farms several acres of, of land and then has like his own garden too. And there's and he's like one of the smartest. My, my father-in-law is like one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's awesome. Yeah, he's like a scientist. I hesitate to ask, but uh, how are the labor practices uh, with, with regards to vanilla? Perfect, perfect segue. They're bad. Uh, so, <laughs> so also <laughs> we'll, we'll link about it a lot, but, uh, apparently almost 9% of children in Madagascar are child laborers and yeah. most of them are involved in vanilla. And also no. the, like, it's a real boom and bust thing. If there's a cyclone, the whole crop is devastated, but if there's a good harvest, people have so much money, they're burying it in their yard instead of a bank. Cause there's not stable banking in Madagascar. It's a, mm. it's a country that's coming out of French imperialism and into independence. And so there's a lot of problems from that. And that's part of it. Uh, so are there ways, like, do we know if there are like ways to be able to correctly source vanilla to find places where labor is more fairly treated or, or is it just kind of hard to tell? That's that's a good question, and I I think it leads in this last takeaway because I I think the best answer for getting like real vanilla ethically is to just try to find a company that is definitely doing it ethically, like some sort mm-hmm. of fair trade positive system. Uh, but also, we can go into takeaway number three. Artificial vanilla is much much more common than you'd think, and also comes mm. from strange places. I'm excited about this think- one. <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified we... about this one. So excited. <laughs> so, so excited because we're talking about beaver, 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 beavers, right? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we're going to get to beavers. And, and just right before we do, like this this vanilla farming is pretty rough in, in it seems like most cases. And my main way of feeling okay about the vanilla I consume is that almost all of it is not from plants. And is so it's outside of this farming situation. Mm. Uh, Sarah Lohman in the book Eight Flavors says 95% of the vanilla we consume is artificial. National Geographic's number is, says it's closer to 99. Like it's it's really overwhelming how much demand there is for vanilla, and so very very little of it is actually like the real plant. That that's very rare. So on cooking shows, when they're trying to make me feel bad and they're like, oh, if you don't use the real vanilla, I'm like, well, if you do use the real vanilla, that's bad for other reasons. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of my takeaway from researching this. Yeah, like I feel great about artificial vanilla now. I, I don't know if that's an, yeah. like a totally accurate belief to have, but it, I'm glad it's outside of this system. Yeah. And also as far as how much is artificial, as we said, it's incredibly hard to harvest and it's these difficult orchids. We'll talk about the amazing alternative sources there are for the core thing of vanilla, but brands are trying to use as much of the artificial kind as they can because it's much cheaper. So the FDA has had to set pretty specific rules for how much vanilla is in pure vanilla extract. Uh, And also brands will do stuff like taking the flecks of spent vanilla beans, putting it in the ice cream or whatever else, and that just looks more vanilla-y even though that doesn't add any more flavor to it. Like the beans used up, it's just junk now. But I, I've eaten grocery store ice cream where there's a bunch of flecks in it. And I think that was right. just a trick. That was just to make right. me more excited. That's yeah. what I figured. I kind of suspected that because I know like there's like the Briars like vanilla bean and it's got these little flecks in it. Yeah, and it's that's like, the one. Yeah. They didn't crush up vanilla beans for this because this wouldn't cost $3. <laughs> it's the right. illusion of vanilla rather than vanilla. or You can have vanilla or vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> I, wish, I wish it was written that way on the box, like more A's on the end of the word. Like vanilla <laughs> and a little guy doing their arms up, you know? Yeah, you got to do the arms. That's part of it. Vanilla. <laughs> I, I kind of hate when they get picky about like how much of a thing is actually the thing. Because to me, if it tastes like the thing, I'm fine. You know what I mean? If it tastes like vanilla, I'm fine. They're like, Velveeta isn't actually cheese. I'm like, it tastes like cheese. It's fine with me. Like You don't have to just lie yeah. to me. Just lie to me and I'm cool. When it comes to <laughs> cheese, though, I get I get freaked out when it's like this isn't actually cheese because I'm like, wait, what is it then? 
See, I'm like, I don't care. What? <laughs> I'll, I'll eat it. I'll eat as much of it as I can. Thank you very much. Like dairy-based, dairy-based desserts. Like, if it's not based in dairy, what is it? Who cares? <laughs> Where did you find it? This is mostly plastic. Oh, really? This plastic tastes really good. <laughs> my body's temple, and all I do put inside my temple is <laughs> vanilla extract and New York Applebee's. Thank you. <laughs> if you're born in the Midwest, your body is Velveeta. That's just—it's a oh, portion yeah, yeah. of your body. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. That's why I podcast because nobody can see that my lower half is just mostly like spams and Velveetas and uh, you know other <laughs> wonderful up accretions. Hot dogs. Yeah, yeah, hot dogs. Right. Totally. You're cl- clinking yeah. around. It's just like stacked up. <laughs> Alex Schmidt is just stacked Velveeta. This is a whole uh, yeah, yeah. What a canon that Vel- we're creating. Velveeta and like Slim Jims for your fingers. <laughs> That's why I had to wear gloves on Jeopardy. They were like, no one can see these hands. This is not acceptable. Uh, My Slim Jim hands. No one can the, po- see these. the podium hid the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and uh, the the flavorful chemical in vanilla is called vanillin. In mm. in the book Eight Flavors, Sarah Lohman makes a point of saying a vanilla bean has multiple flavors in it. It's not just vanillin, but that 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 is kind of the main thing. The chemical compound was isolated in 1858 by a French biochemist named Nicolas Theodore Gobley, and so so we've had the we've had the chemical version for a while. And as soon as he isolated it, a whole industry sprang up around, hey, what generates stuff that has vanilla in it or does this thing? Because then no flowers, forget it. And when I was reaching out to you guys about doing this show, Katie was immediately excited about beaver butts. She was like, we must talk about this. And I I feel the time has come to talk about beaver butts. Beaver butts, beaver butts, beaver butts, butts, butts. (laughs) <laughs> I, I know that yeah she said the beaver butts thing and i was like i'm gonna go on this and talk about how much i love vanilla and then am i gonna find out the vanilla extract is beaver butts i'm just like beaver butts i'm the queen of beaver butts now that's my favorite thing oh no <laughs> lydia you've been fooled uh, it's uh, the prank show <laughs> this is a prank show Oh, <laughs> I knew it that's why ashton kutcher's been here the entire time yes <laughs> And his voice sounds a little like this. It's my Ashton Kutcher. Oi, in it. Perfect oh, it's my voice Ashton again. Kutcher. You got punk, didn't you? <laughs> I'm British Ashton Kutcher now. Oi, uh, now check out my, my japes and my, and my jokes and my japes. It's my Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> So with the with the beaver butts, the, the good news is this is an antique practice and you, you almost definitely won't find any foods that have castorium in it. Castorium Damn it. almost it's it's maybe in perfume if you manage to find a pretty Ooh. weird supplier, but uh, nobody Just, uh, it's... hypothetically, Alex, uh, what are these websites? Hypothetically, of course. <laughs> Look, if you go in the white web you can find it. But <laughs> Yeah. I like how you said if the if it's a weird website, like it's got to be freakyperfume.com. I'm the weirdo that keeps the beaver butt in my perfume. Want to smell like beaver butt? <laughs> well, and, uh, and the thing with beavers is they have castor glands. National Geographic says the castor glands are located between the pelvis and the base of the tail yes. of a beaver. The butt area. Also because of their close proximity to the anal glands. Uh, castorium often has anal gland secretions and urine along with the castor gland secretion. Woo. And so you get something that is a fragrant brown slime about the consistency of molasses. Yay. And it smells amazing. It smells like vanilla and it smells really good. Yeah. Oh. Beaver anal secretions are delicious. Yeah. And no, I don't harass beavers and lick their bottoms, all right? Don't, don't freak out. <laughs> you definitely can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't pick up a beaver and try to sniff its butt. They'll bite you, and it'll be bad because they got them big teeth, and you'll have to get a tetanus shot. The universe is so crazy that they would make beaver butt secretions something that we're like wild about. Like, what is that? What purpose does that serve us evolutionarily 
to be like wild about yeah. beaver butt secretions. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I, I'm sorry if you're going to bring this up, Alex, but like in medieval times, they thought that the similar to like how uh, Queen Elizabeth thought that vanilla was a um, aphrodisiac. They also thought that the beaver castoreum was an aphrodisiac, but they oh. thought that they didn't realize they were anal glands. They thought they were testicles. They are not the beaver testicles. They are anal glands. But these medieval people are like, these, you know, like, oh, if these make me horny, they must be beaver balls, right? <laughs> and so yeah. they would like, they would uh, hunt beavers and try to get the, the um, these anal glands for this, like, this aphrodisiac. And there were these, like, in these bestiary uh, illustrations there were pictures of beavers like pulling their own balls off and throwing them at hunters because the idea yeah in this myth the idea (laughs) is that the beaver would voluntarily castrate itself uh, to escape the hunter (laughs) and so there are these images of beavers like being like you want my balls just take them just take them (laughs) and it was like get out of here and it was sort of symbolic of by being chased uh, I guess by ripping your own balls off, uh, you can escape uh, Satan's influence. I don't know. <laughs> it was all very strange. Yeah, oh, yeah. like you, you can avoid temptation if you just rip your own balls off. You can avoid getting hunted by Satan if you rip your own balls off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just a good takeaway for folks, too. Takeaway number four. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you said this is a family-friendly podcast, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) And as far as the the non-beaver ways of getting vanilla flavor, Sarah Lohman says that for most of the 1900s, people turned to lignin, which is a byproduct of the wood industry and paper industry. Uh, And also, if you ever smell an old book and get like a hint of vanilla, it's because Hmm. the vanillin is breaking down as the book gets older. So there might be Ooh. like old books that smell That's that way. So interesting. You can enjoy that. Yeah. I love the smell I of old wonder, books. Yeah. I wonder if that like so if beavers maybe get that from their diet, right? They don't necessarily eat like just wood, but they do eat sort of green uh parts of the pl- the branches and stuff and so like I wonder if they get some of that from their diet and that's why that would their anal secretions taste so good. Yeah. yeah, that would add up. I don't know for sure, but that, that like yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I'm guessing. So I'm sorry if I'm wrong. I'm, this is a total guess. But yeah, <laughs> that, that is really interesting. It, it's crazy that they would like process it and it would run through their body and come out tasting like better than it did when it went in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how bees work, right? Like they vomit up honey yeah. and it tastes good. Yeah. Some animals are just little processing facilities for human food. (laughs) Yeah, but that is interesting because I do love the old book smell. Like you open up an old book and you just like dive your face in and snorf it all up. So I guess uh, I guess I'm not weird. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for other reasons, but not for sniffing books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the last thing about modern synthetic vanilla is lignin is still used, but also scientists are constantly coming up with new ways Uh, We'll link to The Guardian talking about gene-edited yeasts that ferment stuff and then generate vanilla in now. Like, there's all kinds of new ways. Uh, And then the last way here is a story from the Royal Society of Chemistry, uh, because the the Royal Society of Chemistry would like us to know that Dr. Maya Yamamoto of the International Medical Center of Japan has found a way to synthesize vanilla from cattle poop. So we do have this Yay! available to us in our tool How belt. How is it worse? As a, as a Why can it never be better? <laughs> We're bringing it back. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Does it say how what like what the process is at all for making it uh, from cow poop? Yeah, and this I'm I should have remembered this sooner because this might sort of confirm the beaver thing indirectly. Quote: She realized that cow dung contained a lot of lignin from the animal's feed. And Yamamoto has also found that vanillin could probably be made from the feces of other herbivores, especially grazers and and ones that eat, like, plants with a lot of lignin in them. We can just get it, like, secondhand that way. 
I mean, when we got to trees, we should have stopped. We got to trees and it's like, okay, I can eat part of a tree. That's fine. Like, no, now we're doing poop. We're all ready to poop now. Yeah. I mean, but if I, if I had some kind, like you have some kind of science gizmo that you can turn cow poop into delicious cookies, I mean, you're not interested? Pretty good. I don't know. I said before, I'll eat anything. You can lie to me. It's fine. And now I'm regretting that. I guess the you can lie to me part is the part that I really need there. <laughs> I need you to just <laughs> hand me this and say, it's good. Eat it. And I say, okay. And I don't know what it, it is. It's never been cow poop. Uh, well, I didn't ask. It's never <laughs> been cow poop. Never. Okay, cool. Thanks. I'm very reassured by worry that. about it. It's not cow poop. Don't worry about it. That's. I, I hope that they label it that way. They're like this. Not cow poop. Not cow poop at all. <laughs> no cow. No cow poop here, folks. Right. Guarantee. It's another speech bubble from the vanilla man on the box. <laughs> like not cow poop as well. Not cow poop? <laughs> question mark. Wow! Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Lydia Bug and Katie Golden for adding so much flavor to this one. Ah, vanilla, there you go. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com, Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the surprisingly strange origins of vanilla-flavored Twinkies. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than three dozen other bonus shows, such as Cow Tools, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring vanilla with us. Here is one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, vanilla comes from the fruits of an orchid. Takeaway number two, vanilla relocated from Mexico all the way to Madagascar. And that is because of the brilliance of an enslaved child named Edmund Albius in La Réunion. And takeaway number three, artificial vanilla is much more common than you'd think, and it's much stranger. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. Lydia Bug writes great weekly humor columns for 1-900-HOT-DOG, also guests on their podcast. I'm linking that and so much more comedy writing from Lydia. That includes her work on the Trailer Park Boys comic book anthology, that releases in June. And then Katie Golden tweets as at ProBirdWrites. She tweets as herself at Katie Golden. That's G-O-L-D-I-N. And then she hosts the Creature Feature podcast weekly on iHeartRadio. An amazing show. Please get it in your ears ASAP. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. And they include two excellent books that I, I just enjoyed reading on top of them being core sources for this. One book is Eight Flavors, The Untold Story of American Cuisine, and that is by food writer Sarah Lohman. The other book is titled Vanilla, A Global History, and that is by Rosa Abreu-Runkel, Assistant Professor of Hospitality Management at New York City College of Technology. And then many internet sources beyond those books, in particular from NPR and from The Guardian, we did not delve all the way into how bad the vanilla industry in Madagascar gets, NPR and The Guardian have done amazing coverage of it that we will link. You'll find that and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by The Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>